0: So today we start a new book. If you're with us for the first time, we just on Thursday finished the Gospel of John. And so today we begin the epistle, that is the letter, the first epistle, the first letter to uh, from John. So this is called 1 John. To me, this is a natural progression, right? We've grown familiar with the author, if you've been with us for a while. Um, it's only natural to me that we would hear now from him in a different context he wrote the gospel of john uh, those last couple chapters tell us that you might believe he says i could have chosen a million things to talk about but these are the things that i chose to to try to convince you that you should believe in jesus the son of god and that by believing you might have life in his name that was his goal in the gospel of john well today we're going to see we're going to get there eventually That This is written more to believers, folks who've already surrendered their lives to Jesus. Um, And he's got some specific reasons for writing this book. John, we think at this point, is the leader of the early church. um, And all of the other the other apostles have been martyred. We think he's probably the pastor at Ephesus sending out this email, if you will, this letter to the church at large. Notice there's no. doesn't say to the church at Corinth or to the church at Ephesus. He sends this out to anyone who will read it, including us. It was written probably somewhere between 80 and 100 A.D. That makes John a very old man. Um, I guess I better be careful. Um, anywhere between 70-something to 90-something. So I hope I didn't offend anyone. Do um, you guys want to do some participation? Okay, this one's first one's really short and easy. If you can, if you're old enough, if uh, you're familiar with pop culture enough, finish this song phrase: Oh, I wonder, wonder who. The first service had you guys smoked. They did it, and they did it in harmony. Really good. But okay, who wrote the Book of Love? John. John, this was the guy he wrote this letter 46 times in five chapters that we're going to go through. He uses the word love. This is the guy that tradition says they carried him from church to church and they set him down in the pulpit and asked him to share a sermon. And he would say, little children, love one another. And he'd close up his book and he'd be done. You guys are like, why can't we have a pastor like that? (laughs) This guy was the guy who was transformed by a relationship with Jesus because, you remember, his first name was Son of Thunder. He was the guy who actually, with his brother, went to Jesus in Samaria and said, hey, these guys don't want to put you up for the night. Can we torch them? Can we call down fire upon them? Son of Thunder. And yet here he writes this book that one of the threads in it is love. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that in our bulletins there, I think it's where the bottom of that first page, we have this thing that says student of the word. The idea is if you consider yourself a student of the word or you'd like to be, if you'd like to get the most out of the messages that we um, are doing here at the church, if you'd like to get the most out of all of this, then you'll read through this chapter or whatever. Do you notice in our bulletin this morning what the student of the word assignment is? To read the entire book of 1 John. Now check check it out, guess what? Next week when you come back and it says the student of the word what's the assignment? To read the entire book of 1 John. Every week that we're in this book, I would like you to read the entire book uh, First John. Now the way that I go through the scriptures, it could be 2011 before you're done. Probably going to be real familiar with this book. It, it'll definitely take us a few weeks, I'm sure, maybe a couple months. But I want to challenge you to do that every week. Read through this entire letter. I actually, because I knew some of you would protest, I went online, the Blue Letter Bible. And you can click on a thing and have a guy read it to you, okay? He can read it to you, so you can just listen. And even as slow as he reads it, 14 minutes. 14 minutes. I'm asking you if you would consider spending 14 minutes of every week reading through this book. And it's free, by the way, online if you want to do it that way. But you can read it faster if you read it yourself. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, why? What's the big deal? I mean, that's 14 minutes of my life I'll never get back. What's so special about this book? Why should you read this book over and over again? Well, let's ask the author, John. Well, the author is the Holy Spirit, right? But John is, if you will, the pen and the quill that the Holy Spirit used to write this book. So let's ask John. John, why should we spend the time to read this book? Why should we get so familiar with it? I think John would say, well, I'm glad you asked. I've actually laid out four reasons for you that would be really helpful to you if you understood them. There's four places in in his letter here. It's no secret. It's not hidden. Where he says... I'm telling you explicitly, this is why I'm writing you. This is the purpose for which this letter was written. Four objectives, if you will, to, I think, lay down the grid to help us really understand this book, to get the most out of it. Okay? Four things that, since the Holy Spirit is writing it and his word does not return void, if we'll just read it and obey it and do what it says, four things that the Holy Spirit is guaranteeing in our lives. Interested? Yes. If you're awake, maybe. OK. Four things. You ready? I'm just going to give you the four things and then we'll uh, break them down as we go uh, from each spot in the book, in the letter. The first thing is, John says, I've written to you that you might be filled with joy. Look at chapter one, verse four. Just see it real real quick. We'll come back. Anybody interested in being filled with joy? OK, good. That's a good start. Um Number two, John says, I'm writing this that you might be freed from sin. Look at chapter two, verse one. It says, I'm writing you that you might not sin. And we'll talk about that. Number three, I'm writing you this that you might fend off deception. That's chapter two, verse 26. We'll be coming back to all these. Filled with joy, freed from sin, fend off deception. And lastly, John says, I'm writing this that you might have firm assurance, a fruitful life in Jesus. Okay, fill with joy, free from sin, fend off deception, firm assurance. So if you're taking notes down the side of your page, it should read for fantastic. All right. You guys want to participate again? (laughs) All right. Every time that I finish this phrase and leave this space, you guys fill it with with the word book. When I start it like this, I'll say read this and you say. OK, let's practice. Read this. OK, good. All right. We're ready to go. you ready. Four things. First one, John wrote this epistle, this letter letter. It's going to be a long day. All right. If we, we go really long, you can blame him. All right. John wrote this letter that we might be John chapter First one, 1 John chapter one verse four. Go there. That we might be filled with joy. First John chapter one verse four. He says, "And these things we write to you that your joy may be full." It's the very first reason he says this is why I'm writing it. How many of you are okay with the concept of being filled with joy? Okay? Everybody kinda okay with that? Is there anybody here thinking, look, I already got plenty of joy. I don't need any more of your stinking joy. No one? No one's opposed to having joy this morning. All right, then read this. The end of that verse, John, first John chapter one, verse four, says that your joy may be full. And that word is play It means to be filled completely to the brim. I always, in my mind, get the picture of a glass that is filled with water to the brim, like like where it's bulging, like it's just the surface tension that's keeping that thing from spilling out everywhere. Y'all, that's the kind of fullness that John wants us to have. It's the kind of fullness that of joy that the Holy Spirit apparently wants us to have. He says, I'm writing you this letter, number one, because I want you to be filled to the brim with joy. And if we're if the Holy Spirit wrote this, number one, not only is it possible, but number two, I think it's supposed to be the normal Christian life. The abundant life that Jesus talked about that he promised. Right. He said, I have come that the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that they might have life and that more abundantly. This book has a lot to say that if we will apply it, if we'll actually do what it says, we'll fill up, I think, all of the thirsty vessels in this room with living water to the brim full of joy. Now, this is important and is probably repetition to almost everybody here. But you guys understand there's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness depends upon happenings. Happiness depends upon happenings, but joy does not. Let me give you illustrations. These are all stolen from other pastors, but here they go. You get a brand new car. It's got great gas mileage. It's sporty. It's awesome. You're happy, right? On the way off the lot, you drive it into a tree. Not so happy. Okay, um, let's say you've been saving up and you've got the latest, best iPhone. It's awesome. Got the bells and the whistles. You've got a a data plan. Yeah, it's it's expensive, but, I mean, it pays for itself in your business. All of that stuff is great. You're surfing the web. You're shooting emails to people. You're happy. You drop it in the toilet. (laughs) Not happy. Let's say you come to me and you're like, I have got so many financial problems. I'm just a wreck. You're not happy. But I sit down and say, well, let me write you down a $10,000 check. You're happy. (laughs) Then you go to cash it. (laughs) You're not happy. (laughs) Happiness depends upon happenings. Joy does not. Joy doesn't depend upon happenings. We have... Numerous examples in the Bible. If you were with us when we went through the book of Philippians, it's written by Paul. And it speaks of joy over and over again, this joy that he has inside of him. And where is he? Prison. He's writing this book filled with joy from a Roman prison. Matter of fact, you can rewind Paul's life and go back to the book of Acts to when he was actually in Philippi. Remember Paul and Silas? There they are in the deepest, darkest, dankest part of the dungeon there in the jail. They've been flogged. And there's no sanitation system back then in the dungeon. They're chained up in the midst of filth. And it says that they were singing praise songs. Okay, you guys, that's either crazy or it's joy. Second Corinthians chapter eight, Paul writes to the Corinthians telling them about the Macedonians who, who live up north, who are going through this tremendous poverty, got all sorts of problems and, and situations. They're flat broke, but he says that they gave with tremendous joy. Y'all, joy does its best work in poverty, in persecution. In trials and circumstances. Does anyone need joy this morning? Joy is that inner thrill that is not dependent upon happenings. Anybody interested in that? Read this book. Y'all, we are living in interesting times, are we not? People losing jobs, left and right. Incomes, pensions, wealth, all of it shrinking or disappearing. But the Bible teaches that there is this thing called joy that is independent of circumstances, of happenings. If you have it, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3. I want to share something with you. Habakkuk chapter 3, the whole chapter, actually the whole book, is filled with... Not so great stuff the the wrath of God or the chastening of God, depending upon your relationship with him. But there's these verses in here that are pretty amazing. Before we get there, though, I want to remind you, realize when this was written. That agriculture was the economy, right? No such thing as stocks and bonds and all that stuff. Okay. so every time you read these next verses that I'm going to share with you. Habakkuk 3, whenever you see like fig tree or vine or olive tree or flocks or herds, think stocks, retirement plans, health care, gas in your car, food on your table. Think jobs. Ready? Habakkuk 3:17. though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no, absolutely no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls. Translate that in today. Lord, even if everything that I have come to depend upon. Comes up empty. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. None of that other stuff. It's the Lord God who is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. Y'all, we're going to look at this more in depth um, on Thursday as we go through verses probably one through four. But I just want to show you that this book, according to the author here, says that you can have joy filled to the brim no matter what is happening in your life because of the relationship that you have with the Almighty God. Anybody interested in that? Read this. Okay, I challenge you to read this letter once a week, 14 minutes a week until we get done with it. For four reasons. I just gave you the first one. The first one is it's written that you might be filled with joy. The second it's written that you might be freed from sin. Look to turn to chapter two, verse one. one, first John chapter two, verse one. He says right there in front of God and everyone. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Now, Right off the bat, you've got to understand, he's not saying that we can become sinless. Matter of fact, just back up a few verses. makes it very obvious. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1 and verse 10 of chapter 1. basically says, look, if you say you have no sin, you're lying to yourself. If you say you have no sin, you're making him a liar. Matter of fact, just look at the rest of chapter 2, verse 1. Because he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's like he couldn't even finish the sentence without saying, Okay, I get it, you're gonna sin. But in one verse, John declares, listen, that sin that about sin he declares about sin that prevention is possible, but that also a remedy is ready and necessary. I don't know if I've lost you yet, but this is the easiest way, the best way I've heard it said. John does not declare that we can be sinless. But we sure can sin less. Anyone in the room want to sin less? It's one of the explicit reasons that John says, this is why I'm writing this chapter 2 verse 1 my little children these things are right to you so that you may not sin y'all there's never going to be a time when you are sinless but listen if you are a christian if you call yourself a christian you should be sinning less and less and less there should be no ongoing practice of sin in your life Have you got something in your life that you've been practicing? A sin you've been practicing and you know what happens with regular practice you get good at it. Practice makes perfect. A A sin that you've practiced it long enough that maybe it's become second nature. You've got it in your muscle memory. You can sin this particular sin without even thinking about it. It's effortless. It's conscience less but occasionally you'll have a moment of clarity where the Lord speaks steps in and says this is wrong maybe you're having one of those moments right now what do you do what do you do with that kind of besetting sin well there's a couple ideas It occurred to me, you could pray that the Lord will make it impossible for you to continue in that sin. Let's say for you, and I'm only using this because it's an easy illustration. Uh, Let's say for you that smoking is your nemesis. Okay, that's the thing that you can't seem to to conquer. Um, I said this in the first service. um, I'm not even necessarily saying that um, smoking is this tremendous sin for you. I always say, you know, you could make the case that you're getting to see the Lord sooner because <laughs> of your bad choices, right? But because it fits the illustration here, let's say that that for you is the thing that, that you cannot seem to conquer. OK, you could pray that the Lord would just make it impossible for you to continue like this. Manchester, New Hampshire. A New Hampshire man says he swiped his debit card at a gas station to buy a pack of cigarettes and was charged over 23 quadrillion dollars. <laughs> Josh Mursinski checked his account online a few hours later and saw the 17-digit number. A stunning 23 quadrillion, 148 trillion, 855 billion, 308 million, 184,500 dollars. Muszynski says he spent two hours on the phone with Bank of America trying to sort out the string of numbers and the $15 overdraft fee. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if, if you really want to quit this sin, you can just pray that he make it impossible for you. That, it is, that you just can't possibly do it. Or here's another idea. You could Read. This because John says, chapter two, verse one, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If you're really interested in in conquering this sin, right, having the Lord snuff it out in your life. What would it hurt to read this and obey it and let the words and that's going to be the hard part, by the way, obeying it. Let the words in this book, the decisions that it requires, replace those habits that you have been ingraining for years and years. Let the word of God become your second nature, your muscle memory, so that you can be freed from sin. Right? Not entirely, but to sin less and less. See, this book will show you the following about sin, by the way. As we go through it, we're going to discover how deadly it is. And how incompatible it is with the abundant life. And we're going to discover how to beat it, how to head it off at the pass, how to beat it in the first place. But when you fail, how to deal with it? Does anyone in the room want to be freed from sin? You've got self-inflicted shackles and you want the Lord to break them. Well, then read this front to back every week. Verse one to the end. And do what it says. So there's four reasons that John says, I've written this book. we you seen the first two. Look, I've written this that you might be filled with joy, that you might be freed from sin. The third one. I've written this book that you might be able to fend off deception, fend off deception. Turn to first John chapter two, verse twenty six has that same phrase that he keeps saying. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. We're going to learn a lot more about these guys over the next few weeks, but there was this group called the Gnostics. Gnostics, uh, the, the root word is gnosko, and it means to have knowledge, to know. Easy way to remember that is an agnostic is someone who says that they are without knowledge. Agnostic, ag, not ag, agnostic. There you go. Um, Spurgeon used to love to point this out when someone said, "Hey, I'm an agnostic." He would say, "Hey, that's the same Latin word as ignoramus." <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> agnostic means to be ignorant, to not have knowledge. But see, these Gnostics were the opposite. They were those who claimed to have special, secret knowledge. They're the ones who would say, yeah, well, the Bible says this maybe, but we have secret knowledge that has given us the key to understanding. Come over here, study with us. We have secret knowledge. The idea kind of like, well, you guys who just believe the Bible, maybe you'll grow up someday and you can be as enlightened as we are. Today, there are different brands, different versions of Gnosticism, but two that come to mind. Jehovah's Witness Mormons, they have their own special knowledge. The, the Bible isn't enough. They've got their own version of it, or they have an addendum to the Bible. Gnostics are people who claim to know God with a special hidden knowledge that you just can't get from the Bible. We're going to get a lot more into this over the next few weeks. Um, and, and John's going to address it head on right at the beginning, chapter one, verse one. But let me say this, since we're kind of thinking big picture today. You guys know, probably most of you do. You know how they train tellers to identify counterfeit, right? They say that the, the average bill that's counterfeited is the $20 bill. They have them study, not the counterfeit, they have them study the real thing. They give them stacks and stacks of real $20 bills. Say, handle these, study these, look at these, get real familiar with these. Let's say you're a teller and you've, you've been handling stacks of money for a few weeks and it's your first day out there on the job. You get a $20 bill with the face of, say, Brad Pitt on it. You know it's a fake, right? Some of you are like, I might keep that as a collector's item. But if you're a teller, if you've been trained, if you know the real thing, if you've been studying, handling stacks and stacks of the real thing, you know instantly when the fake comes to you. The the same is true with spiritual truth. Y'all, we could have classes and classes about the cults here at the church, and it would keep us busy for the rest of our lives. And by the way, I'm not against that. But we always got to remember the very best way to train someone up to recognize a fake. Is to be so familiar with the real thing. And tell me who was more familiar with the real Christ than John. The guy who laid his head upon Christ's chest at the, the Last Supper. Matter of fact, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 verse 1. And we'll just give you a taste of how familiar John is with the real thing. Chapter one, verse one, that which was he doesn't he doesn't even say hello. uh, This is to anyone. He's just like, let's get right into this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. That word means to study, to gaze upon. Which we have studied and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He spent years handling, studying, seeing the real thing. John studied the real living Christ, and he wants us to do the same. The Holy Spirit wants us to be so familiar with the living Christ that somebody comes and they try to pawn something else off on us. We're like, no, come on. This is a uh, July 13th. In Alabama, authorities in South Alabama say a gas station employee used a cricket bat to chase away a would-be robber who brandished a toy gun. The Baldwin County Sheriff's Office said the suspect entered the gas station um, Saturday afternoon and tried to use the fake weapon to steal money. Sheriff's Corporal Mike Gall tells the press register of Mobile that the employee noticed the gun had an orange tip on the barrel (laughs) and grabbed the cricket bat. The suspect then ran out of the store without any money. Orange tip. It's a pretty much clue. That's a toy gun. Listen, when somebody comes to you or your neighbors and they come into your life and they say, hey, I've got a special revelation from God. No, it's not in the Bible, but just trust me here. That's that's the orange orange tip on the gun. And what you hold in your lap Is the cricket bat. (laughs) They should go running from you with how familiar you are with the living Christ, with the real thing. To be able to identify a fake, you have to know, you have to be familiar with, you have to study the real thing. Does anyone here want to be able to fend off deceivers, deception? What about this? What about in your for, for your neighbor's sake or for your family's sake? Yes, Well then, read this. You guys seeing a trend here? If you read this book according to John and the Holy Spirit, I think you're going to be filled with joy. You're going to be freed from sin. you're going to be able to fend off deception and the fourth one. He wants us to have a firm assurance of our salvation. And that's going to lead to a fruitful life. Look to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. So our four keys to the gospel or to the epistle. Sorry, I'm going to make that mistake over and over again because we just came out of the gospel. But the four key verses then would be chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 26. And this one, chapter 5, verse 13. Because he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things I have written to you. Who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Reminds us again the gospel was written to more or less to everybody, but focused toward the unbeliever. Says, so I could have picked out anything to share with you, but I picked these things that you might believe, and that by believing you might have life in His name. But now He says, that, Look, I'm writing this one to believers to folks who've already turned their life over, the keys to their life over to Christ. Okay? If that's you, that means he wrote this book for you. 5 verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Don't raise your hand, but if you ever had a time when you're like, man, I just don't know. If I'm saved, I, I don't know if. If I'm living right or if if I'm measuring up, whatever it is. First John 513, he says, look, this is one of the reasons I'm writing this, that you may know that you have eternal life. And he says that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. And if you connect that with the same type of verse in, in the gospel. Believing in the son of God leads to this life, this abundant life, this change of of the way you look at things. Now, remember this. This was written, we think, any time between 80 A.D. and 100 A.D. And when did Jesus roam the earth, was crucified and raised again? The 30s. A.D. 33. Or so. So how long. How late does this make this. This letter. At least 50 years. 50 years. Since Jesus. Roamed the earth. In a physical. Fleshly body. I should say. Don't you think in 50 years. Maybe some of the passion. Has cooled. You guys remember when you were first saved. When you first became a disciple. I was sharing with the. The church, the first service that I I think I I gave my life to to Jesus when I was 13, but I didn't understand it. I feel like I became a disciple when I was in college. And I remember when that happened, when I began to actually have a relationship where we talked and and all that. I remember literally, and and I hope you guys will relate to this and I, I won't sound crazy. I remember literally noticing the sky, it seemed like, for the first time. Like, I had walked to class in college, and I just, it was always the sidewalk in front of me, just like, got to get to class, got to, and it was like, hey, there's a sky up there. And I know it sounds silly, but, I mean, the the sky was bluer, and the grass was greener, and I know that sounds goofy, but that was the kind of reaction that was, was inside of me. And, and I hope that some of you have those same kind of stories. But over the years, it becomes very easy to lose that fire, right? To lose your focus. So much so that you can actually begin to wonder, am I saved? If any of you are right now in that spot, or if you've been there, or if you know someone there's who's there, or has been there, or is headed there, Can I ask you to read this? If you really want to know that you have eternal life and you want to have that life abundant that Jesus promised, you should read this book. Now, I must warn you. As you go through this, John does not offer a gentle pat on your head. Oh, yes, you're safe, dear. When it comes to your salvation, John, John does not offer that. He is very frank and to the point about how to know if you are walking with God. Matter of fact, you guys want to do one more audience participation? You're like, do we have any choice? I'm going to let you guys say the word say, because there's several times in this gospel and we're going to move quick. OK, but there's several times and I said a gospel again, in this epistle. Where he says, look, you can say this, but if you don't behave this way, then the truth is somewhere else from what you're saying. Okay, All right. I'm going to let you guys say the the word say when I leave the space. Let's begin in chapter one. Everybody get there. Chapter one, verse six. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse eight. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Turn to chapter two. Verse four. He who says I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Verse 9. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Turn to chapter 4. We've got one more that I'm aware of. Chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says i love god and hates his brother he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love god whom he has not seen so john doesn't offer the pat on the head he's like you want to know if you're saved well you may say this but where's the fruit now please understand it's really important for us to say this this is not is not A works based salvation. That's not at all where he's going. But what he's saying is look, you can say what you want, but if you want to know that you are saved, this is what the fruit will look like. This is what a real relationship with a real living Christ looks like. It doesn't look like that, it looks like this. See, Again, one of the themes of John's gospel was I'm I'm writing this to you guys that you might believe and that by believing you might have life in his name. But here he says, look, I'm writing this to you who already believe. That you might know that you have eternal life and interesting it seems very parallel verse. And that when you know that you have eternal life, you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God and that belief in the name of son of God gives you what life that is abundant life again that jesus promises so he wants us to have not only to be filled with joy freed from sin fend off deception but he wants you guys he wants me to have a firm assurance of our salvation and the natural fruitful abundant life that comes with it okay so let me ask you: anyone want to be filled with joy Read this. Anybody want to be freed from sin? Read this. Anyone want to fend off deception, either in their own lives or for those whom they love? Okay. Read this. Anybody want firm assurance of your eternal salvation and a fruitful life that follows? Read this book. Let's pray.